And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the Athletic Baseball Show for Friday, April 23rd. Derek Van Riper here with Keith Law. On this episode, we'll discuss the rotation woes of the San Diego Padres. Unfortunately, Denelson Lamette had an early exit in his 2021 debut, so the Padres' depth will be tested in the very near future. We'll talk about things about players and teams that concern us this early in the season. If something's not going well, when is it meaningful? When is it not meaningful? And then we're going to talk about some possible early prospect call-ups. We are past the point now where a team can call a player up, and that player cannot accrue a full year of service time if they haven't previously played in the big leagues. So we should see some prospects coming up in the relative near future. Uh, Keith, let's start with the Padres. This is a pretty sad situation with Denelson Lamette, maybe not one that is completely unexpected based on what was happening at the end of last season. Of course, he was dealing with an elbow injury in September, uh, tried the rest and rehab route, came back and left his first start of the season on Wednesday with right forearm tightness. We have not heard the results of the MRI he was sent for just yet, but we've seen this movie before and it usually doesn't have a happy ending. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, I don't know, right? Because didn't he have Tommy John surgery just a couple years ago? Mm-hmm. Like, I got to say, I had some issues with Lamette as a prospect because I saw a very two-pitch oriented guy. It was all power. It was just hard fastball, hard slider. Didn't have a ton of feel. Didn't have a change up. Worried he was good. Lefties did give him some trouble. This was all very separate from what we've seen from Lamette. Lamette's actually been kind of okay against lefties recently, at least enough that I was like, oh, maybe I was light on this guy happens. Um, Sometimes I'm wrong. (laughs) But instead, like, well, man, maybe this guy just is going to have a hard time staying healthy. I saw nothing to indicate that from him as a prospect. Absolutely nothing. When he blew out the first time, it's like, yeah, well, he throws hard, right? Guys who throw hard, sometimes the mechanics look clean um, and they just blow out. And maybe it's something we didn't see in the mechanics or maybe it's just because throwing hard is just really bad for your arm, as it turns out. But this... When this happened, it was I, I really did have that reaction of, wait, did I forget that Lamette had Tommy jo- Did I make that up, right? Because <laughs> usually guys who come back, you, you get almost like a grace period for a while. Once they're back and pitching at full strength, they're maybe like a setback in the rehab and takes a little time. Usually once they're back and pitching and looking okay, it feels like you've bought yourself a couple of years. I don't mean to sound flip about it, but it really does seem that way. Um, I'm hoping this is just, oh, he tore some scar tissue or something and it's not serious and he, maybe he just needs to skip a start. But yeah, I'd be really concerned. And the Padres, good for the Padres for going out and acquiring all this pitching in the offseason because it turns out they needed it more than they realized. And maybe, silver lining, you know, I'm hearing good things about Mackenzie Gore from the alt site. Maybe... Maybe we see him soon. I would be very, very excited to see him, not at Lamette's expense, but excited to see him in the majors. Yeah, it was a question, I think, that was fair to ask anyway, given some of the 
the injury histories of the members of this rotation, if the Padres liked what they saw from Gore, could they go to a six-man rotation for any point this season? They may not have the luxury of doing that just in terms of not having enough depth arms as the season rolls along. But Gore versus Ryan Weathers, at least in the shorter term, seems to be the sort of decision the Padres have to make. Uh, We're talking on Thursday afternoon. Weathers is going to make another start against the Dodgers before people hear this podcast. But for now, it appears Weathers is at least slightly ahead of Gore for the opportunity. Uh, So I'm just curious, what is your overall assessment of Ryan Weathers as a guy that's really been fastball slider heavy in the little bit of time that we've seen him at the big league level. He's looked great. He looks he looks fantastic. Weathers, it's funny because I had Weathers ranked very highly in his draft class. And then his first, I think it was his first full year out, his velocity dropped quite a bit. Now that's not uncommon, but people who saw, pro scouts who saw him were saying, you know, he might be at that velocity level where it kind of doesn't really work and he's just a back-end starter because he has feel and command and he's actually a really good athlete. People tend to you see the body doesn't look super athletic, but he actually is a very good athlete. And you know that all could get him to be a starter, but it was sort of, yeah, he might just be like a fifth starter or maybe a soft four. And then pandemic happens. We don't really see anything from him until he debuted, right? Didn't he make his major league debut in the playoffs? Yep. I call him the Mark Kiger All-Stars, which is like such an obscure reference. But if you get that, you, you know, if you know, you know. And all of a sudden, Weathers, like, and I'd heard he was he was throwing gas at the alt site last summer. And then he did it in the playoffs in that appearance. And he just keeps doing it. And this is a different guy at that velocity. I am way in on Weathers there. Weathers might be a number two starter now in time. Maybe he's not that right now. And if they said... I don't know. I haven't asked the Padres this. I'm like so draft and prospect focused. I haven't even asked teams. Like when I talk to teams, I'm not talking about major league stuff. I'm, I'm so busy talking <laughs> about other stuff. But, you know, if they said, hey, we're going to put Gore into the Weathers long relief role and then have Weathers take the rotation spot, great. Sounds great to me. Absolutely fine with that. Weathers has earned it. Nice way to break Gore in. There'll be a spot for Gore at some point anyway. Yeah, we're talking about a guy in Mackenzie Gore who... I think through 101 total innings back in 2019. So if you kind of right. progress him from there, 140, 150 this year is probably a reasonable sort of expectation. You know, if the Padres, I imagine they still see themselves as a possible playoff team this year. Nothing's changed to the point where you'd say, well, that's not going to happen. They have to think about getting Gore to October. So yeah, absolutely. one way to do that is to break him in as a, a multi-inning reliever and eventually shift him into the rotation. Maybe when need occurs again, right? Someone else might break down. You may have to do that. But I think the thing with Weathers that I really like, the velo has been there. The command seems to be better than previously expected too, right? I think that's the thing that yes. really kind of stands out with Weathers. It was future command very was encouraging, advanced, but yeah. it looks like he's got a lot of polish. Oh, I completely agree. I, I'm i thrilled. I mean, I'm really like not trying to just be uh, I'm not trying to sound like a fanboy almost, but like, <laughs> this is great. This is better sooner, better than I ever thought he'd be, sooner than I thought he'd be really good. Like, that's very exciting to me to be like, I just saw this guy, what, three, four years? I think it was four years ago was his draft. Um, God, I remember that day. It was not great baseball. He played in, you know, Tennessee. It was a good distance from Nashville, and it was very, like, the lowest classification of high school baseball in the state of Tennessee. It was like, he's a man among boys. I mean, there was just not even, it was not fair. Yeah. just absolutely dealt but still you'd say 
is he really going to throw that much harder? I don't have a good rational reason. I'm putting, you know, speaking as if I'm there seeing him. What is my argument for saying this kid will throw harder? There are often other things we look for in young pitchers to say, well, he's going to throw harder and he could throw harder. And Weathers didn't have any of those. And yet here he is throwing harder. So I'm completely buying into the Ryan Weathers transformation. I mean, he had to me, like put him in with Trevor Rogers, for example, as guys who are just, nope, they're different. They're better. And that's great. I'm completely in. Revise it. You know, pump all your, whatever you had as a mental value on those players, whether for real life or for fantasy, just turn it up. We're in and we're off to the races. Yeah, Rogers looks fantastic, by the way, pitching like someone who's going to be in the conversation for the NL Rookie of the Year award. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. That slider is, he did not have this slider last year or ever before for that matter. And it shows up in the StatCast info. You've probably seen this too, but I mentioned this in my breakouts column. He went from 2,100 RPMs to over 24 on the slider. It's a different pitch. You tell me a guy added a different pitch, and by the way, it looks now we've seen it. Looks like that slider. Yep, I'm in. Absolutely, I'll take two of those. Thanks. Yeah, it was fastball changeup with command before. Now it's fastball yep. slider changeup with command, and plenty of velocity on the fastball too. So it looks like a, a special player that the Marlins have unlocked for that rotation. Uh, one more thought on the Padres, Keith. You know. The way the Padres approached the offseason was amazing. It was so much fun to see a new team getting in on the player acquisition frenzy the way that they did. Mm -hmm. I'm concerned that the health of Fernando Tatis might leave them in a position where they're going to pump the brakes, relatively speaking, right? If, if Tatis doesn't get back close to 100% in the months ahead and the Padres have a few more needs come June or July... I wonder if they might say, you know, we love our core, but we're not going to give up young talent right now to keep making that push this season because this just isn't our year. Tatis just doesn't look quite right right now, and that's concerning. He's 3-for-21 since coming back. He did homer in that first game against mm -hmm. the Dodgers last weekend, but I'm just having this sense of pessimism about his ability to really meet the lofty expectations that we all had for him entering his third season. Yeah, am I... See, I, the problem is I'm wondering if there's a little confirmation bias at work here, but I watch him and think, is he holding back, right? Is he not swinging as hard as he usually does? It's funny, someone asked in my chat today about Jazz Chisholm, and I'm thinking, it's a lot like Tatis, right? It's electric bat speed and swing hard all the time, basically. And you can do that now. I mean, in the modern game, you could do that 10 years ago teams wouldn't even want to call up a prospect like there 20 years ago maybe but today we don't right we don't care you strike out 30 percent of the time it's fine it's what you do in the other 70 percent that counts but if tatis isn't swinging hard and i fully concede i may be seeing what i you know me what i see may be biased by what we know about his shoulder but if that's the case he's not the same guy right then it's not this isn't the guy i thought would win the nl mvp award he's just playing hobbled and at that point he should go back on the injured list i don't want to see that but he should do what he needs to do to get fully healthy because and, and i don't know what that means does that take him out for the rest of the year does it take him out for three months if he could be back august 1st maybe he can't september 1st i don't know but i mean to a, a hobbled fernando tatis jr is not really helping the padres and at that point i would say hey we gotta we gotta get you right because you're, you're one of the five ten best players in baseball when you're right and you're not right yeah, it's tricky calculus because if resting him until then got him back to 100%, it's almost worth it because you could look at the Padres and say, even without Tatis, they're good enough to be a wild card team. They're not going to yeah. chase down the Dodgers in the West without him, 
they probably weren't going to do it with him. It was going to be at least an uphill battle to pull that off. But even if the rest doesn't get him back to 100%, then is 70% of Tatis better than Hassan Kim and uh, more Jake Cronenworth and, and the shuffle that they get to do with their depth? I think those are the types of questions that they have to keep wrestling with. And at that point, do you call up C.J. Abrams, who is their best position player prospect and one of their two best prospects? It's him or Mackenzie Gore. You pick your poison. I think they're both superstars. Um you know, if you talk to Padres people about how Abrams has looked at the alternate site in spring training, they're saying, one, he's a super future superstar, and two, he doesn't look that far away, but he's got very little experience, right? So do, do you do that? Do you bring that kid up into a pen, into you know, it's early, but it's a pennant race, right? This, this is a team that intends to make the playoffs. I don't know. I would feel so much better if the minor leagues were playing, even if he'd played two weeks in double-A so far. And the minor leagues start in, I think, 12 days. So maybe they just fake it with the guys you just mentioned and let him play two or three weeks in double or triple A and then just reassess the litter. I'm like looking at my Fitbit here, right? Just like, okay, okay, it's time. That's enough. Just make sure he doesn't go there and just struggle with something that you didn't anticipate. Because that's always, it's the thing you didn't see, right? The thing, he hasn't played above low A. We actually don't know if he's going to struggle with the way that double-A pitchers can locate off-speed stuff and A-ball pitchers can't? Or is he going to just struggle at shortstop because the game is faster when you get to double-A? Every time you move up, the game is a little faster. The ground balls are hit a little bit harder. You just don't know. But I, I will say this. If Tatis has to miss a significant chunk of this season, I believe we will see C.J. Abrams in his stead at some point. Maybe not right away, but at some point during the year. Yeah, it certainly falls in line with the recent behavior of the organization and how they've handled their extremely talented young players. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's talk about early call-ups since we're kind of getting into the, the minor league season being just a couple of weeks away anyway. Uh, first week of May, we will have minor league games. I'm excited because the missing data points for players as you try to assess potential call-ups, it makes it almost impossible. You can find flaws better when guys actually are playing at AA and AAA. Uh, how soon do you think we're going to see some of the, the earliest call-ups? We're past that point. I mentioned it earlier where you can call up a player and they can't accrue a full year of service time. So Alex Kirilov, to me, looks like a shoe-in. And he's also yeah. a Mark Kiger all-star, as you yes, call him. Yes, you look at a guy like Kirilov, and they have a clear need in the Twins' off offense for him. Eddie Rosario, they non-tendered him. That was Kirilov's spot from the day they did that. What could they possibly be waiting for at this point? I'm not sure. I don't know if they saw something in... 
spring training that they didn't like. You know, I've, we never got a great explanation other than, well, they had some other options, right? And it felt a little bit to me like a service time thing. And maybe somebody asked again in chat today, it's like, we got to see Carol off this weekend. I kind of answered, I think so, right? What is the argument now for continuing to hold him down? I, I, the only thing that makes me hesitate is when fans look at those call-ups like they're panaceas, right? Bringing up Alex Kirilov probably makes the Twins better. He could come up and be a superstar right away. I love the bat. I am completely in on the bat, have been for at least two years now. So it's not, there's nothing against the player. But anyone who's just followed the game for a while knows that not every top prospect comes up and hits right away, even if they eventually get there. So I want to see Kirilov up. But I'm going to say, I don't know that he comes up and he's a five-war player right away, right? He could come up and struggle with something. Going back to what I said about Abrams, it's kind of a bit of what you don't know. He's further along. We've seen him a lot more. We've seen him face some better pitching in the minors, so I'm less concerned. But that's always out there. So yes, call him up, but don't act like maybe he's the savior of the franchise. He'll make them better, and that should be enough. Right. If you're looking at him versus Jake Cave or Brent Rooker or some of the guys they've put out in left yeah. field in the first couple of weeks, that's an upgrade. But I think if you look at someone like Kirilov, you want to think about a player like Michael Conforto, who came up a few years ago and was really good right away, but also spent time at AAA not that long after he was called up. 2016, he had to go back down for a little while and yep. figure some things out. So it, it wouldn't at all be surprising to see an arc like that for a guy that played 94 games at AA in 2019, but hasn't had a chance to play at the AAA level yet. I would definitely temper the expectations even though like you I, I see a guy that's going to be an impact bat in time yep. now, we were given the script uh, courtesy of kevin mather uh, several weeks ago now <laughs> jared kelnick is supposed to be up right now keith uh, he the this, that's what the notes said that's what the internal emails said <laughs> what happened why isn't he up yet yeah i'm actually really surprised like why are they courting this sort of criticism does seem a little bit <laughs> Surprising. It's surprising, right? He should be. I mean, they. what's really strange about it is that they called up Taylor Trammell, who I like as a lot as a prospect and like even more as a, as a person. I think he's going to be great for the game. But also, like we've seen, we've seen good and not good from him. And I think what we've really seen in the end is he's got pretty significant things he needs to work on. Um, and... Yeah, he was further along, right? They have a baseball argument, which is that Trammell had played in double-A and Kellenick had not, or Trammell had a full season in double-A. I think Kellenick had, had just a small amount of time in double-A. So Trammell was further along. Okay. No one is arguing, though, that Trammell is the better prospect right now. And I think with Trammell striking out at the rate at which he's been striking out, then the argument to have him up and Kellenick down is, is even weaker. And even with Kyle Lewis coming back, Kalanick needs to be in the big leagues for him. For him, just he needs to be there to continue to develop. And I, I hate the fact that the delayed minor league season means play, he and players like him have lost at bats that they should have gotten in game situations. Yeah, I think there is a slightly different approach for teams that are not contending right now versus teams that are. Whereas the Twins have designs on winning their division. The Mariners don't. At least it wasn't in the emails. It didn't say that he was right. that they were going to win the division this year. Mm -hmm. So the Mariners' decision to wait on him is a 
little bit more justified, relatively speaking. Yes, and absolutely. I would say, like, if you look at a team like the Angels, where Albert Pujols is still getting playing time, and you have two outfield prospects, one who I think does need to see a little time at AAA to see if the swing and miss is gone, Joe Adele. I think he needs to spend a little time in AAA before he comes back. And maybe work on the defense a little bit, too. That was yeah. the big surprise from last year. But they also have Brandon Marsh. And I think they could have justified calling up Brandon Marsh, and they could still justify it the next couple of weeks if they want to just give him a look and see if Marsh joining their outfield, Jared Walsh playing every day at first base, if that's not a better configuration for them because they do have a playoff ceiling, and the Mariners don't. What do you think about Marsh possibly coming up before Adele gets a chance to come back up? Yeah, that's a good one. Um, I would, I would do that. I would actually do that because we saw we saw Adele, and again, I'm not saying that's the player I think Adele is going forward, but not ready at the plate, really challenged defensively in a way that I think surprised most people. And I think it goes back to that speed of the game, right? He was rushed through the minors too. He really didn't spend much time at Double or at Triple A. Maybe we need to. Maybe he just needs to spend more time at AAA and not have the additional pressure of being in the big leagues on a team that's trying once again to make the playoffs, and where we know he's still got a deficiency at the plate because he, he struck out a lot in, in the high minors anyway. We kind of knew that was an issue, but he looked really unready on defense in a way that sort of bothered me. Like I didn't think I had some issues with Adele. I don't really love the swing. But it's worked for him well enough to say, okay, I get it. I get it. You know, there are plenty of guys with unorthodox swings who have great careers. Dustin Pedroia and Hunter Pence. And But, man, he did not look okay in the outfield. And even if it was just, Joe, you're going you're gonna to spend two months in, double, in AAA. And you're working on your defense as much as anything else. I'm completely good with that. And Marsh, who maybe doesn't have Adele's huge ceiling, but is probably a little more advanced as a player and a little more well-rounded right now. I'd be completely good with that because of what you said too, that there is that glimmer of a chance of, of the playoffs. And for the Mariners, I wouldn't give them a 0% chance, but they're not really aiming for the playoffs to the same extent. Right. It would be very surprising if we get to the middle of August and the Mariners are only a couple games out of a, a wild card spot, right? That doesn't right. seem like a likely outcome. Not impossible, but not likely. And I think everybody who's listening to this show right now is thinking, when are they going to talk about Wander Franco? Let's talk about Wander Franco. If this decision were yours, based on what you've seen, what you've heard, what you know, would you give him the call without giving him looks in the upper levels of the minor leagues? Or would you want to see it at AA and AAA, even if it's only for a few weeks at each level before he becomes a fixture in that Rays infield? That's a great question. If you had asked me that three weeks ago, I might have said, I'd just call him up. He's the best prospect in baseball. He's one of the probably five best players in the organization right now. Just call him up. You know what? It's April 22nd. As we record this, I guess it'll go up on the 23rd. Happy birthday, Dad. April 23rd is my dad's birthday. Um, the, uh, the, we're that close to the start of the minor league season. At this point, do you just wait it out? Do you just wait another... 11 days by the time this podcast airs. I mean, you could say this with all the players we've talked about, right? But in Franco's case, he doesn't have to be up right now. He did finish in high A. He's the best prospect in baseball. He pretty clearly makes the Rays a better team on some level. But could you have him spend two weeks in double A or triple A? 
to start May. And if he hits, you know, 410 and strikes out once in three weeks and the, he, did, he does Wander Franco things, then you just call him up. I could go both ways. I'm not making a hard and fast argument here. But if I, if I asked the Rays front office and they gave me that answer, I'd say, okay, I, I can buy that. We're close enough to the start of actual games. Whereas in a regular typical season where they've already been playing for a couple of weeks and we can look and see, look, he's too good for this level, obviously, in a small sample. We could say, yeah, call him up. But yeah, I kind of feel like in his case and, and you know, this would be true of C.J. Abrams too. Abrams didn't even get to high A, but those guys, to, when they haven't played in double A at least, eh, give them a taste, give them a cup of coffee in double A first and then bring them up. Yeah, the other kind of slippery slope here, I guess we'll call it, is teams can wait a little longer this year with the delayed minor league season. If you want to try and keep a player from reaching Super 2 status to keep costs mm-hmm. down, give them six to seven weeks in the minors, call them up late June, early July, there's that possibility sort of dangling out there too. So you have that added incentive in addition to maybe having genuine baseball reasons for wanting to see what the player does at double-A for the first time, there's this mm-hmm. extra incentive for teams to be a little bit more patient if they don't see an urgent need. And I think the Rays, their stopgap players are just good enough where you can look at it and say, okay, they're not being completely ridiculous. If you said every single game absolutely matters for the Rays, should Wander be out there or should they keep playing Joey Wendell and Yandy Diaz as much as they do? The answer to me is Wander. Take the chance on Wander because he's a possible five-win player, it, it, like from the like possibly from the jump. That's like the best possible scenario. Long term, I think he gets there almost certainly. But those guys are one and a half to two-win players. That's a pretty right. big gap when you think about it. And if, the sooner you get that player into your lineup, the sooner you have a guy that puts a ton of balls in play. I mean, the biggest flaw with the Rays' offense is they strike out too much. Wander yes. helps solve that problem. You make a good argument. You do. I, I mean, I think you actually nailed the problem with the Rays is that they're almost a little too good for their own good in that they find these guys who are, you'd like to do better, but he's not killing you, no, right? Yeah. So yeah, we can skate with him for a couple more games, a couple more weeks. And Dodgers are kind of like this too, where they just find these guys and say, all right, yeah, we could do better at some point. But we're okay. What is the marginal difference of a month of Wander Franco versus a month of whichever player or basket of players is taking those at-bats? It's small. I think your best argument of everything you just said, the best argument ultimately is every win is probably going to count for this team. They, I think they get to the playoffs. I don't think they get to the playoffs by some big margin. And it is possible that the one win they cost themselves, not so much in terms of wins above replacement, but in terms of actual wins, right? That at-bat that came up in the ninth inning and Wander Franco didn't take it and didn't get on base or didn't get the hit and somebody else made an out. Those don't show up in war, obviously, because that's not how we're thinking about player value. But if you're in the front office, you're thinking about, no, we're I, I just got to steal every win I possibly can. And, and that to me would be the argument. If you're, if you're at a point where each marginal win makes a huge difference to your playoff odds, you got to think about having Franco in the majors. They have another infielder who could actually help them Vidal Brujan I mean he doesn't get nearly the same hype as Wander because almost no one in the minor leagues gets as much hype as Wander but right Brujan is going to be a good big league player where do you see him fitting into the mix 
Yeah, I mean, ultimately, he's a second baseman for me. I don't think he's really a shortstop, but he's he's really good. I mean, they could have a middle infield combo there that makes no money, which matters if you're the Rays. It's not good for the players, but let's be pragmatists here. If you're the Rays, you might have two all-stars in the middle infield who will spend three years making about a million two combined. Uh, it's pretty good. It's really good. I mean, these guys are not just good prospects. As you said, they're good prospects. They are... You know, that could be 10 wins from your middle infield when they get there. Obviously, once they're in and developed and, and performing at their peak. And just that just sets them so far ahead and, and gives them flexibility. Because as you said, they have these other players who are perfectly good enough to be on a major league roster. Maybe as bench pieces for the Rays, maybe for somebody else. And they can trade them to get whatever else they need. Some other starting pitcher. It's usually what I think they would go for. Um, so, yeah, I think Bruhan just doesn't get talked about because of Franco. But he's really not that far behind him developmentally he's not that far behind him on the prospect rankings either i'm looking at prospect lists and thinking about some of the guys that have had no real chance to even get baseball twitter to start pounding the table and saying hey, that guy's <laughs> got to come up and adley rutschman's one of the first names like if he were crushing the minor leagues right now even though the orioles have no incentive to bring him up he's the kind of guy that i think we'd all be saying hey look you guys can't keep sitting on adley rutschman he needs to play. Right. You need to give him the reps. Let him be your everyday catcher. Let him work with your young pitchers, and let's just see what this guy does. I agree with all of that. Um, if the if the Orioles were any good, he should be in the big leagues. If you think about it, too, he was a college draft pick two years ago, right? So it is just he's 22 months since he was drafted. Those guys are generally in the big leagues knocking on the door. I'm talking about the elite college position players. This is actually true for the pitchers, too, for that matter. Rutschman, if Rutschman had had a regular 2020, we're probably, at, actually, if he hadn't debuted last year, we're probably looking at his stats from 2020 and from the first two weeks of the season saying, why isn't he in the majors service time? It's giving teams an out, right? We can say service time. They could say he hasn't played. Adley Rutschman's never played above low A. It's a fact. Didn't stop the White Sox. Yeah. It is a fact. It is a fact. It's an irrefutable argument. And they're not wrong. I would say that is not a sufficient argument, but they would certainly have a case, right, if they went to an arbitrator. Why'd you hold this player down? He didn't play above low A. <laughs> okay, that's, that's about it. Yeah, but, you know, it didn't stop the White Sox with Andrew Vaughn, regardless of how that experiment is going so far. He hadn't played above high A, and they brought him to the big leagues. And I think in Rutschman's case, he should go, le yes, let him go to double A. Assume he'll start in double A. Let him go there. I think he'll be good, if not great there and a couple weeks after they'll just call him up and that's probably the best you can hope for if you're a player or his agent in this in this world we're in where 2020 basically didn't happen for any of these kids yeah and i think that's the main reason why we may not see as many prospects get the immediate call up this season right that's the justification for it well let's see what happens in the upper levels of the minors then bring those guys up and we can possibly reap the benefits of uh, getting these players away from super two and just being mm -hmm. sure being really sure that they are in fact ready i want to talk to you about some reasons you can actually panic about a player <laughs> or a team like there are justifiable reasons to be concerned panic is still probably not even fair this early because even an inflated strikeout rate for a hitter you could be concerned. Should you be panicking? Should you say, Javier Baez is never going to figure it out. He's never going to be good at again. He's got five homers, five steals, striking out 44.9% of the time. Am I concerned about that approach? Of course, but we've always been concerned 
about that approach. So when you see a guy like Baez, who has always been a free-swinging power speed guy, how much do you worry about three weeks where he is striking out more than he's ever struck out before? Um, yeah, I'm worried. I mean, there's not much that's really going to get my attention as a kind of outlier performance in the first three weeks of a season. But there's a couple of these guys, you can put Keston Hire on that list, who, you know, I can't believe the hitter into, he has devolved as a hitter over the last two years. And I just don't get it. Somebody got in that kid's head. I'm, I'm speculating. Somebody got in that kid's head and said, you need to hit for more power. And it has destroyed him as a hitter. And I just don't get it. Um, that's not Baez's case. But yeah, that worries me. When guys are striking out 45% of the time, maybe even more, and looking bad, right? Looking really overmatched or like they have no approach. In Baez's case, it's like he doesn't have an approach. I saw this from Baez in the low minors, but he grew out of it. And it's weird to watch him kind of regress now into this, you know, almost... Never forget the it was this minor league spring training at bat, but he homer. This was over at Fitch Park for folks who remember where they used to train. Now it's the A's minor league complex, and Bias destroyed a ball. And the next at bat, he walked up, and you could see he was just done for the day. He's like he's going to swing at everything he sees, and it was and he was done. <laughs> and it's like, well, that's that's immaturity. He'll grow out of that, and he did to his credit. He did. I, I don't like that. I'm seeing glimpses of that younger self here where and maybe I'm wrong maybe that's not really what's going on but it's just what it looks like from the outside not not being at the field and not talking to any Cubs personnel about him but that really concerns me whereas with Hyora it's it's that the the alterations he seems to have made both to swing and approach have just completely changed who he is as a hitter and I don't get it that's not the guy they drafted and it's it's really unfortunate and one common thread, you're going to see this a lot for guys who strike out a lot, is chasing pitches outside the zone. If you look at O-swing percentages, you look at that leaderboard, I guess it'd be the laggard board because we're talking about the bottom. <laughs> you're going to see guys who have approaches that are pretty broken. And look, Baez, that's always been kind of part of what you got, even when he was sure. good. Uh, but I am very concerned that at 28, this is happening, right? If you told me, yeah, 31, 32 years old, it's all going to fall apart for Baez. Okay, yeah, I can get on board with that. But at 28, I thought he was a good bounce-back candidate this year. I thought yeah. he was the kind of guy that was going to come back because he plays every day, hit an easy 25 homers, uh, maybe get the batting average back in the 260-270 range and, and just be that sort of four-win player that he was back in 2019. I thought that was completely plausible entering the season. I absolutely did. I thought he was a bounce-back candidate. Small, you know, last year was a tiny sample. So many things went wrong on and off the field. For, not for him specifically, but for so many players, you know, who knows if this Joey Bag of Donuts here had a sick family member, or other reasons that the pandemic was particularly hard on a player. I just write it all off, right? These guys are mostly just going to go back to who they were the year before. In the absence of, you know, a Corbin Burns, you know, where it's like, nope, that's we're in. That guy has clearly changed for the better. But guys who mostly guys who were worse last year, I just took the attitude of acknowledge, but. Uh, weighed it less than ever before. It's a, less than half a season, and who the heck knows what else was going on. It's really disturbing to see it continue without real explanation or a clear path to get better. I mean, what is the? What do you tell Javi Baez at this point? Go, go back to your 
2019 approach. It's just too facile, right? That doesn't work. That's not how this works. It's not how you get a player out of this mode that he's in. Right. I mean, if he knew what it would take to get back to that, he would just do it because it was probably more right. fun being Javier Baez in, in 2019. I yeah, I agree. I don't think he's enjoying this. I don't think Heston Hayer is enjoying this. Any of these guys who are struggling beyond previous expectations or performance levels, they're all looking for solutions. And, and a lot of these guys... Some of them it is, you can point to certain things. You can point to velocity being down for some pitchers. But some of these guys, it is, you know, what happened? Where, what, why? Why are you, the, why are you the way that you are? Why, in, in Baez's case, it's no, why are you the way that you were six years ago? And a bunch of, I think it was six years, maybe it was longer. When we had real questions about whether your approach would mature enough to allow you to be a productive big leaguer. I just, you know, I am totally flummoxed because you like you said it this that's not an age where hitters typically regress to this level yeah it was 2014 Baez was the year that he debuted for the Cubs he struck out 41.5 percent of the time when he debuted hit nine homers in 52 games stole five bases did the power speed thing right away but had a 169 227 324 line while doing it and I just remember at the time like wow he's going to be a polarizing player because that is (laughs) that is weird to see yeah that kind of power speed production with such a a miserable slash line next to it. Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck T-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB Show. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a fifteen hundred dollar first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 
you mentioned velocity. I think on the pitching side, that's one of the first things that worries me. And I think Luis Castillo is probably a pretty good example of this. The K rate's down, and the velo drop that might be kind of causing that is pretty alarming. He's down almost two ticks on the fastball, down almost three ticks on his slider. The only thing that I think can be sometimes a plausible explanation for reduced velo early in the season is cold weather. And it's been pretty crappy in Cincinnati. I mean, did a game get postponed because of snow or suspended because yeah. of snow earlier this week? Wasn't the freezing rain, right? Did you see Lucas Sims, yes. by the way? Just Good refusing, just like, no, no, no. Nope. So if you nope. didn't see it, so Lucas Sims in this freezing rain situation was basically saying, we're, we're not going to play. But the way he did it is he kept getting new balls from the home plate umpire and just throwing them back to the dugout. <laughs> oh, he's a hero. It's Absolutely. Amazing. Oh, my God. I was... Yeah, absolutely. That was ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. There's no reason to be playing in those conditions. We got a 162-game schedule, and we got built-in off days. And you know what? If they don't play one particular game, like the, the, the earth is going to keep spinning. This is ridiculous. My wor- number one worry, I mean, obviously, I'm sure the players were miserable, is you never want to see a guy get hurt because of that. And freezing rain like that? That's what I read it was, actually. It just I couldn't even tell, right? It looked like... like like uh, interference on the screen or something. <laughs> Whatever it was, though, like they didn't need to be playing in that. Good for him. Yeah, it looked pretty awful. And uh, so Castillo has dealt with some poor conditions so far, but I think we've seen enough starts now where there's definitely a yellow caution light on for me with Castillo. And he's a guy that I thought was probably you know, a top 10 starting pitcher league-wide entering the season for fantasy purposes, at least because of the strikeout ceiling. Yeah, Castillo has always Castillo concerns me because he's always been kind of a one and a half to two pitch guy, and I really when he was with the Marlins it was basically one pitch. Now he'd be up to a hundred, um, but and his arm slot has always made it very difficult for him to really spin the ball. But he's made I'm just looking up like this is two so two full seasons plus last season of pretty effective. Very I would actually say very effective starting pitching. Now I thought he'd come back to earth a bit from the level of 2019, 2020, but this is something completely different. He's getting absolutely smoked. I mean, for this guy to just give up this much hard contact with as hard as he typically throws, with his, as hard as he typically throws would be unthinkable. And the fact that he's given, like, if you just look at the velocity, uh, sorry, if you just look at the hit column, you'd say, well, is he something wrong? Is he not throwing as hard as he usually does? Um, because like I said, his fastball alone allowed him to miss so many bats, but when you you are that dependent on one pitch and when that pitch maybe abandons you a little bit that could be i mean that there's a quicker how would i phrase it it's just like a, a steeper slope once he starts sliding yeah i think the the secondaries here are, are really key i love the changeup it's one of my favorite pitches it's one of the most gifable pitches in the entire league <laughs> but i think with castillo like the, the only thing that is kind of keeping me interested is that He's dropping from the high 90s to the mid 90s. And you can live with that if the secondaries get a little better. If the slider gets better, he can find a way to make it work. So I don't think it's hopeless. I don't think it's a complete the sky is falling situation. But he's going to have to make some adjustments if that velo does not come back. Now, from a a team perspective, (laughs) there's no way. There's no way, Keith, that the Yankees are this bad. And I refuse to put them at the top of the rundown because the Yankees lead every show and everything in the world all the time. They're 6-11 and through 17 games. And I have to ask you, 
Do you remember when the Yankees were three games below 500 on April 14th, 2019? I do not. Amazing. Fun fact. I didn't remember that either until I looked it up. They won 103 games that year, and they went to the ALCS. And it's basically the same team. It's the same offense that consistently finishes top five in WRC+. It's same core, right? And the core didn't get so old in one year that they went from perennial top five offense to now they're a bottom five offense, and you can right. throw crappy pitchers at them, and those crappy pitchers are going to look really good. There's no chance that's what happened. But yet... It's the Yankees, so the sky is falling. Are there any things happening to the Yankees early that do give you some concerns? I, I saw them winning the AL East easily. I look back at your season prediction. You had them I think, winning the World Series. So I, mm-hmm. I think most people saw them as the clear division winner in the AL East. Are there any flaws that you see right now that you're genuinely concerned about with this team? Mm, yeah, yeah. I, I mean... Yes, but not that I would say to the point of like I don't want I also don't want to overreact to um you know to a tiny sample again even at a team level this is a really small sample I'm, I'm I've quote I keep borrowing this quote from Joe Sheehan where he said a few times I think I think he said it on Twitter you know every team has a five and ten stretch teams go to win the World Series and they have a five and ten stretch at some point during the season. What I do find very shocking, and I'm not really 100% sure how, I, it, is it just a small sample? I don't actually know. I just pulled this up. The Yankees are second from the bottom in the AL in on-base percentage. Well, if there was one thing I was pretty sure that the Yankees would do, and they're, I believe they're second from the bottom in run score too, or close to it. Um, I mean, the offense stinks so far. You look at this offense on paper, is the offense really going to stink like this? I mean, Aaron Hicks was a four-win player two straight years before the Tommy John surgery. Giancarlo Stanton has basically been a complete cipher so far this year. Do, you know, is Gleyber Torres really this bad offensively, slugging 220 on the season? I, mean, I just look at this and say none of this is possible. Right? This, is, this can't all last. Maybe one or two of these guys just has a terrible year, but they're not all going to suddenly have terrible years. I just have a very hard time buying into that or, or thinking, oh, yeah, these guys, none of these guys are as good as we thought they were. Or that the Yankees are maybe somehow doing something wrong, you know, claims that any thought that this is somehow systemic, right? There's a problem with coaching or that this has something to do with Aaron Boone. No, I don't think so. I think a lot of it is just kind of misfortune. I, what I do look at longer term and worry about, like I think, the, so what I'm saying is I think the offense is going to right itself. I look at that rotation, I definitely have some real concerns. And, you know, we need to see, we probably need to see D.V. Garcia in the rotation at some point, maybe sooner rather than later. But Garrett Cole's the only guy in the rotation right now with an ER hander four. Their second best starter so far is Jordan Montgomery, who's I think is kind of a back-end guy, and his his FIP, his FIP, is over five anyway. But he's fine. I think he, if he's your fifth starter, maybe if he's your fourth starter, you're probably fine. But, you know, they need to, hope. I'm hoping that Jameson Tyon, whose stuff actually looks pretty good for a guy who's had that much uh, health trouble, He'll step up, and then we'll see D.V. Garcia, and he'll be better. But somewhere in here, they're going to need more help than they currently have. This I don't know that this rotation, without outside assistance here, is really going to be enough to get them um, to where they want to be in, in the postseason. Yeah, I think D.V. Garcia is pretty important to the yeah. 2021 Yankees. I think Corey Kluber is the guy that I'm probably the most worried about. I don't think that that's uh, an uncommon judgment of this particular rotation 
Tyon, I think, is going to be fine as long as he's healthy. Fine in the sense of being a good mid-rotation starter, a guy that if you have him starting playoff games, you don't feel bad about him taking the ball in the postseason. I think he's that level of pitcher when he's healthy. If yeah, Jordan Montgomery is your game two starter in a playoff series, then a few things have probably gone wrong, or you've got an amazing amount of development on Jordan Montgomery this year. Right. Yeah, but which kind of, he could. Could happen. Yankees have had, Yankees have a great track record. They have gotten a lot of guys. Now, it's been more guys in the minors, but they've gotten a lot of guys, a lot of guys to throw harder, a lot of guys to, to throw better. I wouldn't rule it out, but, I mean, what I've seen from Jordan Montgomery this year, it looks like Jordan Montgomery. It looks like the guy he was before the Tommy John surgery, which is probably a back-end starter. And that's great. They just need more than that. They were they were banking on some guys bouncing back more from health troubles than they're actually going to get in the aggregate, right? Each one of these guys seemed like maybe a good individual gamble. Now, with, I don't know, three weeks of hindsight, this could easily be overreaction theater. But it looks like maybe they were banking too much on the health and effectiveness of each of those guys behind Garrett Cole. Last question for you for this week Davey Garcia, just from a scouting report perspective, what's your expectation for him at this stage of his career anyway? What kind of result would you think he's going to get if they do make him a regular in this rotation? I think he is, again, I'll go back to something I said earlier. He's not the panacea, and he might just be a five-and-dive starter because he's never really been very efficient within his starts, but guys do not hit him. They do not see the fastball even though it's 90-96 and it's, in, it's, its particular characteristics are not that, like it's not a high spin pitch, but it's very deceptive. He's got a kitchen sink. He'll throw a slider, curveball, change up. They're all pretty good. Depending on the day you see them, any one of them could be at least an above average pitch. I think I've had the change up and the slider both as potentially plus. Uh, it's, it's different. It's atypical, but he could be really good every fifth day for five innings. He's... He, absolutely capable of going out and giving you five innings, giving up two runs and punching out 10. And then you turn it over to the bullpen. The Yankees bullpen, I think is going to continue to be a strength for them. And if you know, going in, D.B. Garcia is probably never giving us more than six innings. He's also very small. So there's, there are durability questions long-term, but fine. You know what? You're a five inning guy. We're going to use you. We're going to have you go twice through the order, get you through. Hopefully that gets five innings and then you're out and we're going to turn it over to the bullpen. That's great. And that helps this team. They are better if that pitcher I just described is in the rotation. And most teams, most organizations don't have a major league ready starter, even a five and dive sort of guy, as good as the one you just described. I agree. I absolutely agree. And the Yankees could have two, depending on Clark Schmidt. Clark Schmidt is not healthy. He was hurt in spring training. We don't really have a lot of updates. The Yankees do not share a ton of information on injured players. I guess that's their right, but we'd love to know. because I really like Clark Schmidt. I think a healthy Clark Schmidt is even better than D.V. Garcia, but D.V. Garcia is healthy and Clark Schmidt is not. So hopefully we'll see Clark Schmidt pitching in the minors in a couple of weeks and see where he is and maybe he can still find a way to help this club this year. Yeah, he would be, uh, it'd be great for the Yankees if they, in fact, do have a healthy Clark Schmidt available later this season. We got to go. Before we go, I want to tell you about our subscription offer, $3.99 a month at theathletic.com slash baseball show. Of course, with this podcast being new, we really appreciate it if you take a moment to leave us a nice rating and review and tell a friend if you're enjoying this show. Uh, if you'd like to hear more of Keith, check out this week's episode of The Keith Law Show. James Fegan, who covers the White Sox for The Athletic, was Keith's guest. They talked about Lucas Giolito, Carlos Rodon, Yermin Mercedes, among other things. 
happening on the south side of Chicago, so be sure to check that out. You can hear me on Rates and Barrels and on our Fantasy Baseball podcast on Twitter. He, of course, is at Keith Law. I am at Derek Van Riper. The Athletic Baseball Show is back on Monday. Have a great weekend.